Welcome to the Flanders DC Talks, a podcast with inspiring talks from our past events. Flanders DC is the organization for design companies and fashion labels from Flanders. Hello, I'm Stefan from Flanders DC. Dries van Oten really needs no introduction. As a member of the legendary Antwerp 6, he helped to put Belgian fashion on the global fashion agenda in the 80s. Today, Dries van Oten is still one of the most important designers worldwide. And in this episode of the Flanders DC Talks podcast, we go back to 2017, a tipping point for Dries. He was turning 60, had 100 fashion shows behind him, and was looking back on his career with a documentary and a book. At our Fashion Talks conference in Antwerp in November 2017, Dries sat down with Vanessa Friedman, the fashion director from the New York Times. A year later, he would sell a majority stake in his company to the Spanish Puy Group, the parent company of Nina Ricci, Paco Rabanne and Caroline Herrera, among others. Dries himself stayed on board as creative director and chairman of the board. Listen to what Dries had to say. Hi. It's, um, it's a real honor to be here with you guys and with Dries. It might seem a little weird that we started with a the, with the bunch of finale videos, because that's actually what that was. But um, I thought it was important for three reasons. Um, first, it strikes me, and I could be wrong, you can tell me I'm wrong, that those are actually the moments when you start thinking about what comes next. Mm -hmm. That as soon as the first show ends, the next show starts. But it, it's always like that, in fact. We always work with from one collection to another, and now with the time schedules, even uh, before we do the women's show, we start already with the next men's collection. For me, it's always like that, that going ahead. And it also, on, the, on one side, it's also a nice thing that you know that there's always the next one. So that you can improve, that you can do things with you but not so conf so sure of the, the, the show before, that you can say, okay, now I change it, I still want to do this, I want to do that. Quite often also reactions against the show that you did. So quite, quite often we did something and I said, and I want to do it completely different. Like what? Oh, it's always... Give me an example. <laughs> no, it, it, it's like, like, yeah, I'm a perfectionist and, and, and also I want to move on. I don't want to fall back in a system. For me, it's very important that, that uh, I challenge myself and I challenge my team. And that for me is really very important that there you have always like the next thing, okay, and now surprise me. And for me, it's very important not to surprise myself and my team, but also at the end, the final client, the people who have to buy the, the clothes in the stores, because that for me is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. So they have to be surprised and say like, oh, this is strange, this is different. This is not what you expected, but maybe that's... Why not? I'm going to ask you another question, but before I go on with the questions, I just want to let everybody know that we are going to have time at the end for questions from you guys. So don't disappoint us. Okay, start thinking now about what you might want to ask when time comes. I will let you know when there's one more to go, and then you can shoot your hands up. So to go back to this, do you think of your work as a continuum, you know, as one kind of long conversation or as sort of specific eras? I think there are the eras. There is an evolution. Uh, for me, it's very important that there is an evolution, maybe not always a revolution. I'm not so for revolutions. I think maybe in the 50s, 60s and 70s fashion and the world needed more revolutions. Now, of course, it's an evolution of one thing to another. 
Um, but I don't want that it becomes boring. So I think fashion has to move forward in all different ways, not only aesthetically, but also the way that we look to fashion, the way that that fashion is sold, all these things. I mean, just before we had to talk here about the whole internet business and all these things. So it's a new world, it's a new reality. So we have to move on with everything. But for me also, um, we just had our 100 fashion show. We made the books for that. And of course, it's quite confronting then that you have to look at every photo, every outfit what you made and things like that and say, okay, this is now good for the book. Maybe this we have to forget, all these things. So you see that there is kind of a continuation. There is kind of, uh, yeah, kind of, uh, there's my personal vision in it. But I like to make sometimes a little jump and being individual uh, and being not part of a big group, of course, we can take also risks. We can do collections, which maybe are a big break from the previous one, which sometimes is accepted. And sometimes it's like not the most commercial decision which I've taken in my life. But that's, that makes it also quite interesting for me. And then also in that way, I can put creative steps, which for me are very necessary. Can you pinpoint specific moments when you look back? It's like, that was a leap, that was a leap, that was a leap, that was a leap that worked, that was a leap that didn't work. Well, I think, I think one of the most uh, things, and I'm also very honest about that, was uh, end of the 90s, uh, fashion changed dramatically uh, because it was the area of the big groups. So all the young designers were kind of sold or bought by, by big groups. Uh, when you think about McQueen and, and Jill Sander, Helmut Langer, everybody joined like a big group. So um, one year before uh, my business partner, Christine Mattis, uh, died. So for us, it was also kind of a difficult situation. So for me, it was a new reality because, okay, before she took part of the whole, she was busy with the whole business uh, part of the business. So and then everything became my responsibility. So for us, it was also like, okay, is it now time to, make, to look also for a partner? It was also a different thing in that time because... Um, Garments became less important. It was also it was Tom Ford who started with the whole idea about accessories, shoes, bags. So that became also really more and more important. So for me, it was like a new type of fashion. And it was not really a type of fashion which suited me very well. So we've been talking a lot about it. Okay, sell it, keep it, do it, continue it, focus on accessories. So you see there, there are two or three collections, which for me were kind of a rather wobbly situation, trying to find my way in the new, in the new world. But then it was quite confronting, so we did two fashion shows which were not very well accepted. Uh, I tried to play my role more as artistic director of the company, and not really as a designer, not so, so, be so much hands-on. And there immediately the press and clients really said, no, this is not a dress what we want, we want something else, we, this, this is not the thing. So that made things very clear, and okay, sometimes you, you have to, to, to try and just to see it doesn't work, so okay, we do something else. So what didn't work was your attempting to fit yourself into a model of a system that someone else had created? Yes, for me, for me, I think, and there I learned again so much from it, because, okay, um, it's not that I want to do everything different than other people. It's not that I want uh, to do fashion, to create a type of fashion which nobody else is doing in a system that nobody else is doing. For us, we've always been growing in a very organic way. And we try to find in, in a very human, normal ways answers on questions when they are happening. So, okay, now everybody's talking about pre-collections and all the BIS collections and all these things, which we don't do. 
I simply don't have the time for it. But then we look to, uh, we talk with our partners and there we see, okay, maybe there is a way to have, to help stores which are selling our collection to bridge maybe the six months which we have. So there is, there is, we find other ways to do it. Did you think um, at that time of change when fashion was really in flux, did you think about selling? Did you think about joining a big group? Yes, of course. You have to be, you have to be realistic. You have to think about all, op- all options. Uh, did someone try and buy you? Yes. <laughs> Okay, so how did you say no? You know, I mean, if you're a young designer, you're not sure quite what's going to happen next. There's a pot of money and support on the table. How do you say no to that? But you have, to, you have also to be realistic and you have to know also that you lose a part of your liberty, your freedom. Your, uh, for me, being in Antwerp is very important. Um, it makes me the designer who I am. It makes me the person who I am to live in Antwerp and not in Paris or... or uh, London or something like that. So once you're, you're part of a big company, of course, it's a different situation. So you don't know who, where, what decisions they're going to take for you. So in that time for me, it was really very clear that it was not the right way to do it. Did you ever regret it? Um, I, think it's, I think it's human to do and not more than normal to think about it because after fashion changed again quite a lot. So... So first, all those big groups started to buy the designers and afterwards they also started to buy the suppliers. So the moment that my shoe company, which was, uh, which was very important for me, the company was producing the shoes for us, was sold to uh, Armani. The, uh, the company who made the lasts of the shoe was sold to Gucci and the company who made the soles and the heels was sold to Prada. And all in one season, so we realized at a certain moment, oh my goodness, we don't have the, even the option anymore to make shoes. So we had to find for another company. It was not like an easy thing. Mm. So at that moment, you say like, it would be maybe easy to be part of a big group in that moment. I mean, w- one of the things that I get told a lot by students and you know, younger designers that I talk to is that you are a role model for them. You know, mm-hmm. they say, I want to be Dries. And because they look at where you are now and it's inspiring and exciting. But clearly it's hard to get there and you have to have a lot of you know, emotional and, um, and psychological strength to stay outside of the system, to stay independent. So where does that come from and how do you keep it going? But I, I think there are, because a lot of people ask here, yeah, but how did you do it? What is the formula? Where, how? But of course we started as a group of young designers in the 80s. Situation was different. Fashion changed every year nearly because first you had the, the French and Italian designers. Immediately after, you had young French designers like Gautier popping up. You had the Japanese, you had Spanish designers. You had the English designers like Catherine Hamnet, uh, all, those, all those people like Vivian Westwood. So you had all those people. So Belgian fashion was a new thing. Our struggle was a little bit that we had really to convince people that Belgium could be also a fashionable country, which was... Most people considered Belgium as the uh, least fashionable country in the world, I think. So for us, it was a struggle. Uh, in the beginning also, we, we even thought maybe to change our names in Italian or something like that. Because really? What would you have been? No, I don't know. I don't know which one, but it's... Uh, <laughs> no, but, but in that time, uh, so there were two Belgian companies which were successful. It was Olivier Strelli and Scapa of Scotland. So it doesn't sound very Belgian. So uh, for us, it was a little bit like maybe that's a trick to do it so that people don't notice that we are Belgian. And also, on the other hand, Dirk Bickenberries and Walter van Berendonk and Anne Meulemeester were not the most easy uh, names to pronounce. The only one who was really lucky was Martin Margiela, uh-huh. who had already like an international name. Uh-huh. 
And so, I mean, when you think back on your career, because you've had quite a retrospective year. I mean, you did your 100th show, you did a book, you mm -hmm. did a documentary. Does it make you think differently about your own work? Do you feel like you've realized things about what you've done that you didn't expect? Yes. Um, this year was indeed very, very particular. Uh, we had, like, the film, we had the books, the making of the books, the 100 fashion show. And for me, it was a little bit like, okay, after the success of the 50th fashion show, which was a show on the big table, first we wanted to do also like a big event. And afterwards I said, no, what we're going to do, we're going to invest the whole budget, what we have for this show, in just in tickets for all the women who walked in the past for my shows, that to fly them over and to invite them for three days in Paris and to do the show with them, because that was for me the most important thing, to share that with them also and to share this also with the public. So it, it was like, well, it was kind of looking back, but also looking forward. And um, I think show number 101, which is a men's collection, it was still made in the middle of all that, that work and all these things which are happening. Show number 102, which is a women's collection for next season, was really made the moment that all this was over. And that was really like, okay, fantastic. This is done. We can look back. But we don't have to look back, and now we can really look to the future. And uh, as we always say in the office, now we start to work on the third part of the book. So now we are already show, preparing show number 103 and 104, so it goes fast. But did it make you, did the experience of, doing, of going through that, of looking back, did it make you think differently about your own work in any way? Yes, you have to analyze it, and you have to see what are strong things and what are not so strong. And... Of course, I have often my personal memories and things like that. Oh, this was a nice moment. But then you work on the collections now and the making of the book and all these things were often done with people who were not even born the day of the first shows. So then, of course, it's very confronting because they look to things in a different way. They, they, uh -huh. the other things speak to them and they say, oh, in fact, this fashion show is really good. And that's for me, of course, being now not the youngest anymore, it's, it's very interesting because then you see like, okay, maybe they look to things which I really appreciate and which for me, aged well, for them maybe it's like something else. And this was a very interesting confrontation also. Can you give me an example of something that for you aged well and that for someone else they were interested in? But it is, of course, in the beginning, I was really focused on everything which was, was ethnic. I loved all ethnic fashion. I loved the possibilities which I had. For me, it was a discovery to see that you could make things completely embroidered, all those hand things. Where, of course, for young people, ethnic is one thing, but then there are so many other things. So, for instance, the collections which I was speaking of, which was a little bit that wobbly, uh, difficult years, there are, in fact, really beautiful things also there. But for me, it was like a bad memory. So you start to, to in one way or another, to try to hide it from your, uh -huh. from your memory and uh -huh. not give it a lot of pages in the book. But at the end, they said, like, in fact, it's good. This is nice. That's nice. That's still worth uh -huh. it. And that still has a reason uh -huh. of being there. Mm -hmm. It's interesting you talk about bringing the women in who had walked in your shows. Because one of the things that struck me looking at the finale videos is how much emotion there is in your work and how important it often seems that sort of humanity and the human touch is in your work. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and what that means in an age that's increasingly digitized. But, but for me, it's, it's very important, in fact, that, that <clears throat> I love to make clothes, I love to make garments. And I, I also, the only goal for which I do it, it's not to have like a beautiful fashion show, at the end, it's that people buy the clothes and wear the clothes. 
And that's sometimes, I think, in fashion, it's a little bit forgotten. Everybody is so busy with internet business and this and that and, and scale of business and making it bigger or this and that and, and, and the fashion show. For me, at the end, the important thing is that people wear the clothes. And to make that possible and to make that really fun, for me, I have to continue to enjoy creating fashion also because I think at the end... Uh, we live only once and we have to, to have fun in life also. And I think I have to make the clothes in a way that after people feel also the emotion which I want to put in it, the love which I have, the passion for, for, the, for making the clothes, the, 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 the passion for, for the handmade, the, the passion for the past. I, I love to look to the, to the past, but I'm not nostalgic. I really want to look to the future and, and these type of things. And that for me is so important. I want to share that with people. So for me, making a fashion show, a collection is one thing, and then making the fashion show, putting the fashion show together, deciding the location, the light, the hair, the makeup, the music, how, what soundtrack we're going to put on it. All these things is for me, is like the big finale of a creative process which took like six months of my life. Mm -hmm. And this I want really to share with people because afterwards I don't make publicity, uh, I don't do all these things. So for me, that's... The only way of communication there is really making that a beautiful fashion show and to show everything what I loved for the, six, uh, the last six months. Mm -hmm. How much does technology play in your work? You know, what is your relationship to it? Technology, I think, is, is, is now. So we, we have to embrace it. Um, I think you have to find there the right balance, like, like in everything in life. I think it's very important to find the right balance between the, the things which you for which you need technology, but you don't have to exaggerate either. So I made collections where the whole collection was based on the idea that 50% of the fabrics were completely made by hand, hand-woven, hand-embroidered, things like that. And 50% were the most sophisticated digital prints, the highest resolution, the newest type of machine, the most deep way of printing in a fabric, all these things. So And to clash those things, we also for selling we use internet we use all these things in my studio of course everybody has his laptop and has his computer mm -hmm. although that i say once in a while now it's a day it's no computer day so everybody has to close everything they have to talk with each other does it work it works research is far more interesting sometimes in that way because when you're in front of your screen you click the whole time and it's a negative choice i don't like it so away, away, okay, this I like, print. And after they get a file like this of research. Mm -hmm. Going into a book, you can't really take so, like, as, as fast as you click, you can't take a book and the next one and the next one and the next one. Mm -hmm. A book forces you to go into something, to take a trip. <clears throat> the person who made the book also did a very good job most of the time. They explain you something, you're carried away by something. Maybe sometimes the first pages of the books you say, like, what is this? Same like an exhibition. Sometimes exhibitions you say, like, oh, no, not my thing. But then you go into it and then you're, you're, yeah, and you're carried away by it. And then you say at the end, oh, I'm very happy I saw this. And the same with the book. Sometimes yeah. you say, this doesn't make any sense with what we're working on. But then you find the system in it or you see detail or you see a color combination. And then yeah, you look at it a different way. I'm sort of fascinated by the fact that sometimes you talk a lot about things you don't like or things that you find conf confrontational as inspirations. You know, that sort of the, the difficulty of getting over an immediate sort of antagonistic reaction can actually produce something really interesting. 
For me, perfect beauty is boring. So that's my first, uh, my starting point. When a perfectly uh, beautiful woman, I don't like so much. I prefer somebody who is kind of particular things. For me, that's that's it's with everything. So when something is getting too near to perfection, I get get I'm getting scared of it. So perfection for me is yeah, it's I don't need it. I prefer to find angles and to see and to balance and to to balance out beauty with things which are surprising and different and which you have to get used to it also because I think that's a big part in fashion. So you have to step forward, you have to create things, you have to surprise, you have to, to challenge the whole time. And that in that way, for me, the, the, and a good way is to look to things which are not attracting, not attractive to me. So one of the collections which I made, which I'm still most fond of, is the Francis Bacon collection, which I made after a visit, uh, visiting the exhibition in London, and where I think it were 120 works of Francis Bacon. And it's a disturbing beauty, which was all, it was like I went there and I stayed there, I think, for five hours or six hours, really trying to immerse myself in that work. And I was shocked, I was... I hated it and I loved it at the same time. I thought it was ugly and beautiful and everything. So it's there. Things like that really teach me a lot. He put colors together and it puts flesh and blood and all those distorted people. But there's such a beauty behind that also. And those things for me are very interesting. Mm-hmm. I think you know the point of it takes your eye a while to adjust to new new shapes, new colors, new combinations, new ideas is a very important one because. It's, it's, a, it's the kind of argument against something that's become sort of trendy, or at least part of the fashion conversation now, which is the whole see now, buy now, you know, urge. And the, the idea that, like, if people see an image on Instagram, they need to immediately access it or they're sort of over it. I mean, it seems to me if you really are, produce, are proposing something new, it takes people a couple months to kind of get their heads mm-hmm. around it. They're not ready to buy it immediately. Mm-hmm. And if they are, maybe it's not really new enough. For, for me, for me, the whole system of fashion shows, because of course there are a lot of discussion, the see now, buy now, all these things. And it's not because I don't want to change that system that we continue doing our system of two collections for men, two collections for women a year, uh, showing the fashion show, selling then only the show, the collections after, it's a few months after we delivered it uh, and, and the whole thing. So for me, there's something nice about that. Mm-hmm. It's structured fashion also and there must be also reality and I think quite often the other systems in fashion are nearly that that the creative fashion wants to follow then the high street because they are so fast so I think our role is really to create and to bring really creative fashion and that unfortunately you can't you can't make in that way when you have seen now by now, the selection of the pieces which are really then on the fashion show are done by marketeers. It's not like the buyer. I love the idea that stores can come to the showroom and make their personal selection in our collection. And that every buyer tells a different story with our collection. Mm-hmm. Because in that way, they really, when you go now to, uh, to London and you see the selection what they have from our collection, that's Selfridges, Liberty, Browns, Harvey Nichols, Harrods, all those stores... Everybody has a different thing. And everybody is like, okay, that's my vision on Dries van Otten. And I think that's really fantastic because in that way, the final customer can go to the store where they say, okay, now this I really like. 
Liberty, for instance, is much more day wear, easy pieces, while Browns is more like for the Arabian customer, a lot of embroideries, a lot of diamonds, all these things, a lot of real more, the, the brush pieces. So it's, 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 those are things for me which are very important. And this you can do only by continuing the old system. But that doesn't bother you sometimes to have someone else put their vision of Dries van Noten on your vision of Dries van Noten. I mean, what if sometimes you look at what they bought and you think, God, no, that's terrible. Don't do that. Oh, we, we try to guide them. That, of course, we have a very good team to do that. But on the other hand, no, because at the end, it's, it's, it's the final client who has to wear the clothes. Oh. And I'm not there with all those people just to say, no, you have to wear it like this. And this jacket you can wear only with this pant and these shoes. No, we design the collection also as separate pieces. I first work with the fabrics. Then, of course, I have, while I'm working on the fabrics, I have a silhouette and an idea what it's going to be. But then we start to work on separate clothes. We start to think about jackets, pants, skirts, shirts, all these different elements. And only afterwards then, then we start to put the whole thing together. In that way, every garment has its value and every garment you can wear it in the way that you want. And I don't care how people wear things. Okay, sometimes you're a little bit surprised. You say like, I would have done that differently. But then other things, you're very, also very pleasantly surprised. Uh -huh. And in that way, also clothes get a different life. Mm -hmm. Because for me, fashion is really kind of a way of communication. And I don't want to dictate what you have to tell. It's yourself who has to show who you are with your clothes, who you are, how you want to wear, or how that people have to perceive you and how they, are, they want to they remember you. Okay, I have one last question, and then it's over to you guys. So get, get ready. <laughs> Um, you talked a bit about, you know, sort of two times when the fashion world was really changing. Do you think we're at another one of those times? I think it's an exciting time because it's, it's really, it's not, it's not only fashion which is changing. I think it's the whole world which is changing. I think everybody puts his value somewhere else. I think, um, so you had first now the whole internet. Now you see very clearly that smaller stores are getting important again, that people... Okay, the novelty of buying something on internet is now maybe also getting a little bit over, so people go back to, to much more mm -hmm. personal things. People are in search for a new luxury, and luxury, the new luxury for me is not what, what people consider as luxury. The luxury is very personal. It's something like something really beautiful, small things, things which speak to yourself and not speak to, to other people around you. So it's an exciting time. I don't know what the future is going to bring, but, but I look really in a, in a very enthusiastic way towards the future. Okay. Does anybody have a question for Chris? Because I do have more questions if you guys are really <laughs> going to be you know, quiet about it. Thank you. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask uh, if... Fashion criticism is important to you. Uh, do you pay attention to what uh, fashion critics say about your shows? And in general, um, you know, the, uh, is that important for you or not at all? And in what way? Are you trying to put me out of a job? <laughs> no. <laughs> we have the same job. So. Um, after the show, I read... <laughs> After a show, I read uh, not everything, but I read a lot. And I try also to read some, uh, some blogs and things like that. I try to be really informed what people are uh, writing about what I just showed. For me, it's important. Uh, I have to learn constantly. 
And I have maybe a certain ID, the way that I see my collection, the way that I wanted to show within the location, the message which I wanted to share with the public. And then sometimes you're surprised that when then a fashion critic is writing less, yes, this collection was about that. And I said, like, this was not what I meant to show. And then this and this and this. For me, it's very important to understand if the message comes true, to learn from it. Uh, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes you say, this is not right. Why do they write this? In blogs also, it's very interesting to know because so much fashion from the moment is seen on your mobile phone, on your smartphone. And that, of course, makes us also that we have to think about a fashion show in a different way. We'll never will open a fashion show with a silhouette with very small motifs, because quite often that gives that kind of moiré finish uh, image on, on, the, on the screens, which is not good. So quite often it's a simple silhouette or it's a bold motif, because this looks good on your smartphone. So it's all these things you have to keep in mind. And also by reading then the comments, what, what people, what bloggers give and everybody, you learn from that. And in that way, also, you see a little bit like, like, yeah, okay, is this going to be a successful collection? How are the reactions? In the past, it was really important to have good critics. Because critics were so important. I remember very well our first women's fashion show, which was the Flowers, the Flowers collection. Susie Menkes was wild about the collection. She gave us half a page. And because Susie Menkes gave us half a page, our showroom was full of clients who wanted to buy the collection. That time is over, of course. Now buyers are coming and budgets are made in beforehand and all these things. But still, for me, it gives an atmosphere. It's, it's something which, which um, influences me. And yeah, I don't know if it's... Any other questions? Hello. Um, you told us before it's important for you that you live in Antwerp for your designs. What is so? What is uh, what is it about Antwerp that's important for you, and how do we see that in your designs? But Antwerp is really important. I think living in a small city—it's not specifically maybe Antwerp—but I think it's very important to live in a smaller city. Um, I love big cities. I love Paris. I love London. I love New York. But I could never could live there. For me, it's it's. I'm looking the whole time. I'm trying to 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 see the whole time things. And in a big city, it's too much, too much happening. Uh, taking a metro in Paris for me asks already like a lot of energy. Here in Antwerp, everything is a little bit more slow. Everything is a little bit smaller. And that gives me really the possibility that uh, I always say it's a traditional thing of what I say here in Antwerp, I can whisper in a big city, you have to shout. Also in a big city, automatically you have to be part of the whole fashion system. While here you really people accept that you okay, once you do a thing like this, but then afterwards you just go home, you make the food what you want to make. It's, it's a completely different life. And I think you see this also in the collection because I think I'm also a designer who likes to do small gestures. Not everything has to be like big things, like loud and bright and, and short and sexy. Things, things can be much more different because I think I'm influenced by the city. And of course, yeah, I love Antwerp. It's easy, it's convenient. I love also the mixing of all different um, uh, elements like, like art, da dance, music. Because it's a, sm a small city, people influence each other much more than in a big city, where in a big city, everybody kind of creates his own village in a big city or a neighborhood or then more like fashion people, music people, dance people, art people. 
And here you have really like a very good mixture of all these elements. That's true. Okay, there was another question up front. Sorry, do you want to stand up? Because then she can see you. Um, hi. Hello. Uh, I would like to know how you feel about sustainability with your brand. It's a difficult question. It's a tricky one. I think, unfortunately, as fashion is working now, it's not the most ecological-friendly thing. We know it. Uh, I think by trying to make fashion which lasts, which is not like fast fashion, I think I do my job there. But for me, I think it's also very double because a lot of people are busy then with making clothes in ecological fabric, which is not treated with things like that. But then still those fabrics are sent by DHL to the manufacturer in Italy, sent by DHL back to the company, sent by DHL or another expensive company to the United States and things like that. I think when you really want to make kind of ecological fashion, you have to change much more than we can for the moment. So I think it's up to everybody to, to do it in a way that they see. We try to be honest. We try to, to uh, make clothes which last. I look to, uh, in different ways also, for instance, we have a team in India who embroiders for us. We have, I think, when they're all busy with these things, it's like 3,000 people. We have a system in, in that way that those people are not living in a big city, but they're living in the villages outside of Calcutta just to avoid that the, the cities in India, even that the factories have to become bigger and bigger and bigger. So it's all small things which I can do, which I know that I can do well. And uh, that's the way that I try to stay honest to myself and say, okay, I'm doing an ecological way of fashion. But don't ask me to do only um, natural cottons and natural dyes and all these things and, and really sustainable because this we can't. It's against a little bit the principles of fashion, unfortunately. Okay, there's another question over here. You go. And then there's time for maybe one more after that. So, good evening. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Um, in our times, we see more and more effort to draw attention in fashion by shocking the audience. Yeah, we see a lot of fashion images which are, which has aggressiveness or sexism or depressiveness. How do you think that? criteria of beauty is changing in our times and how does it affect us as people as society thank yeah. you a little light question there that's uh, <laughs> that's not an easy one no but it, it's it's very interesting because i think for the moment there is such such an overdose of images i think fashion it became so fast that and there there i repeat it again i think fashion for the moment has to shout has to shock to be seen, to, to, um, that, people, that people remember it. Because I don't know, you as fashion journalists, how many fashion shows you see in one season. It's like, it's enormous. Mm -hmm. And the moment that the season is over, you know already that the pre-collections are there and you know already that couture is there and all these things. So to be remembered in, as a fashion show, people start to move iceberg, as icebergs and things like that. So it's, it's really getting kind of crazy in that way. They start to try really to want to shock. The images have to be bigger, better, stronger. And that, I think, is kind of killing people because how much shocking and surprising images can you see at a certain moment? You just want to calm down and you want to see something completely different. And I think that's very important to find there now the right balance in all these things. So, because we can't continue to shock. I think now you have to shock 
with something maybe even boring, something, something very normal, something very beautiful, something... Because ugliness is one thing to shock, but maybe now you can shock even more by showing something, something perfectly beautiful. Are there any, is there one last question over there? Hi. Hello. Um, the question I have is more about your creative process. Um, it's how you, I mean, you always have this really distinctive style and always really different inspirations, I feel, from the rest of the designers. And I just wonder how you filter out the noise for yourself in your, when you are, yeah, creating your collections. I, th I think I think I need both. I did. I think I need days with a lot of noise. I think I. Uh, but when we're working on collections, it's always like putting a lot of questions in to see, okay, what is now the right thing? And when we do this, is it going to be too too normal, too evident, too simple? And then you try to put things like on top of it. But uh, don't think that the moment I start with the collection, the, the final message is already clearly there and that you know already that like, this is now what we are going to. It's a, it's a whole process, it's a creative process. And quite often you start with something and then, for me it's very important that you have that creative arch, that you know that you, this is the beginning, this is the end, and that you can go there and that you can skip things and add things and go back to things that you did in the past and to take elements again and building that whole story and balance it out in the right way. And sometimes you're surprised that at the end of that whole arch, you just continue, in fact, where you stopped the previous collection. And some collections you say, like, now we did something and, in fact, we didn't want to change so much because we were happy what we showed the season before, so we wanted to continue something more. And during the season, you see that there is an evolution. And in fact, you wanted to do something very colorful. And at the end, what happened, in fact, is that you make a black and white collection. But that happens. And I think that, that's the beauty. And that's especially which I love in my job, that during five months, six months, I can work in that way. And sometimes it's very hard and it's really, it hurts and, and you don't find it and you're unhappy, you don't sleep. But then... The most beautiful thing as a fashion designer is that moment that when you, you look to things during a fitting and you say like, you have a piece of fabric which came in, which you developed, you have a shape, and you see at a certain moment like, click, now it works. And that's, for me, that gives me the drive to continue. I think that is a very good note to end on. Thank you so Thank much, you. Reese. Thank you guys for being a great uh, Thank you. audience. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Would you like to experience a Flanders DC talk in real life? Check our events on our website at flandersdc.be/agenda.